It's a good day, and uh, I'm really happy to be here. The sun's shining, it's a little cooler outside, but life is good, and God is good, and uh, we are blessed people to be able to be here today. Yes? Yes. So we're going to go right into our message this morning, and uh, some of you hopefully have brought your Mark It Up books. They look like this, and uh, somebody said to me this morning, are we in Mark today? And I said, yes, we are, and they said, oh, I'm going to bring my book next week. And I said, you're not going to need it next week. And uh, so what we're going to do is we're going to go with the market up today. And then next Sunday, of course, is the dedication. And all of that's happening next Sunday. It's a special Sunday. And then after that, we're probably going to do a little bit of time getting ready for Christmas and doing some stuff for Christmas on Sunday mornings. And we'll get back into market up probably in January. And so if you didn't bring it today... Just hang on to it and and bring it back in January. If you did bring it, or if you have your Bibles and you're a person that does mark it up, whether in that book or not, pull out a pen because you're going to want to write stuff down today, okay? And if you do it on your cell phone or whatever, get your highlighter ready or whatever you do to get things going. But here we've been. We're in Mark chapter 11 today. It's going to be on page 68. And if you've been here the last two weeks or before that, (laughs) I've only been here the last two weeks. Some of you have been here more than that. You know that Jesus and his disciples have been walking down a road, right? Say that with me, road. They've been on this road, and they've been headed towards, can anybody tell me where? Jerusalem. That's awesome. Last week, Nancy was the only person that knew Jerusalem, and now all of you know Jerusalem. And so they've been walking along this road to Jerusalem, Jesus and his disciples, and there have been other people that have been joining them, and they've been walking along and hearing the teaching of Jesus, hearing about the greatest serve the least, and watching Jesus walk that out as he blesses and, and spends time with Bartimaeus, this blind man on the side of the road. He learns his name, and he learns his story, and he serves him, and he helps him, and he heals him. And all that has been while they're walking along. And now, they're almost there. They're almost to Jerusalem. And you can feel the anticipation building. There's big crowds on the road now, because the closer you get to the city, the more people there are on the road. They're all heading towards Jerusalem. And the anticipation is building, and the excitement is building, because it feels like, you know, a few days before Christmas, when everybody's so excited, because you know what's coming, because it's Passover, We're going to Jerusalem for Passover, and there's going to be time together with family, and there's going to be celebrating traditions and remembering things and the meaning behind the whole thing, and they're going to remember and they're going to retell um, that that story of, of their faith from generations ago, from hundreds of years ago, when the Jewish people had been in Egypt, and they had been slaves in Egypt, and they were under Pharaoh, and they had no way out, and they cried out to God, and God sent Moses, and he sent them to set them free. And Moses went to Pharaoh and he said, let my people go, right? And Pharaoh said, no. And there was this whole story that talks about the 10 plagues that God sent to make Egypt let the Israelite people go. And that's a whole other sermon. I'm not going into all of that today. But the last plague was a very dark one because Moses said, listen, the last plague is going to be every every family, their firstborn son is going to die. Unless Pharaoh lets the people go. And he said the exception would be, he said to the people of Israel, you take a sacrificial lamb and you slaughter it. And you're going to eat it in a hurry, all like roasted, and then eat it. And you're going to take the blood of that lamb and you're going to paint it over the doorposts. And when you do, that's a sign to God that you are his people. And death will pass over that house. And that night, when they all did that, 
Pharaoh in his grief and his trauma and seeing this, this tragedy happen across the nation, he said to the Israelite people, he said to Moses, take your people and go get out. And he sent them away. He set them free from slavery. The Israelite people were set free that day. They were delivered from slavery and they eventually moved on to what, to what got to the land that God had given them. And so they celebrated that every year. And they retold that story every year. It's Passover. This is the day that's about freedom. This is the day that's about deliverance. This is when God brought us out of Egypt. And it's this amazing, joyful thing. Mind you, it's also a little bit painful as they're walking along that road because although there's this celebration that God set them free and they got their own land, well, they're not so free anymore. And they're still in their own land, but it's not their own land anymore. It, they're, they're, they've been occupied by the Roman Empire, and the Roman Empire has taken over all of their land. And so they're not really slaves. You can't say that they're enslaved again, but they are definitely oppressed. They're kept on a very tight leash. They're only allowed to be able to practice their faith or hang on to their own sense of identity as long as it doesn't interfere with the Roman Empire. And they hated that. They hate that. They want to be free. And they remember, they look back in the past, and, they, and, so, and, and Passover had this potential to bring up the reminder that, that, yes, God did this in the past, but now, right now, it's painful again, and it's bitter again, and we want to be set free again. We need another Moses. And the prophets had said, the ancient prophets of their faith had said, oh, another Moses is going to come. It's going to be a Messiah. God had promised there would be a Messiah who would come and who would set them free from their oppression and who would save them. And so this helps us understand. You have to know all of this stuff to understand what the mood is on that road, what the atmosphere is on that road, where people are at, where their heads are at. There's this amazing talk and crowds of people going, it's Passover. It's about freedom. It's about deliverance. This is about freedom from oppression. And at the same time going, but we need to be freed again from our oppression. And it's a big deal. And it all gets more and more exciting. And you can feel it on the road as the crowd gets bigger. Are you there with me? Yeah? Okay. And so once they get to Jerusalem, they're all headed to Jerusalem. Once they get to Jerusalem, it's going to be a mob scene. Going to be total chaos. There's going to be so many people there. It's going to be like Walmart on Black Friday, right? That's what it, and I know from your laughter, some of you were there, okay? <laughs> and it's going to be crazy there. There's no room in the city. It's crazy. There's people in every direction. And one scholar said it's hardly possible to even imagine the appearance of Jerusalem at the time of the Passover because it's just crazy. He said all the open ground near the city would be covered in tents and would be covered in temporary structures because everything else is full. Everything in the city is full, every hotel, every motel, every bed and breakfast, every inn, every park bench, every shed, every garage, every guest room, every place where somebody could lay down and relax or, or rest or sleep overnight, it's full. There's a historian named Josephus who was a Jewish historian at the time, and he somehow did a count of the number of lambs that were sacrificed for Passover around that time. Are you ready for this? 256 1,500 lambs would be sacrificed. None of you said, wow. 
256,500 lambs sacrificed. And let's just assume, conservatively speaking, let's assume that there's maybe 10 people per lamb, which probably there's, you know. But let's assume there's 10. That means that's 2.7 million people, give or take, in Jerusalem celebrating Passover. Half of the population of Judea and Galilee has poured into Jerusalem to celebrate Passover. And of course, the center of it all is the temple. The temple is the center of all of the celebrations and all of the sacrifices and everything that happens. And it's busy. It's crazy there because you can't, you know, if you're going to have a Passover lamb and you're going to sacrifice it and you're going to do all that, well, you can't just have any old sheep. You have to have the right lamb has to be perfect has to not have any blemishes on it and it, and you if you want you can bring it all the way from home little lamb that you raised yourself that you're pretty sure is good enough and you can walk it along that road day after day after day with the crowds along and all of that until you finally get to Jerusalem and hope that the priest blesses it and says that it's okay or well, they just have lambs at the temple that you can buy if you want how convenient is that You can get to the temple and they got a whole pen there. There's all of these lambs. They're kosher. They're perfect. They're spotless. They're exactly what they're supposed to be. You could just come in, get the lamb that you need, and bing, bang, you're God. You're good to go. Everything's good. And furthermore, there's offerings that have to be made at the temple. And you can't make an offering in Roman currency because everybody hates the Romans and that's filthy and you can't have that in the sacred sanctuary and temple of God. You have to use the right money exchange. And so, Isn't that convenient? There's money changers at the temple. They will exchange your money for you so that you can make your offerings in the right currency. And so the temple, you could just imagine it. You can imagine the sandwich boards outside of it and the signs and the commercials on TV or whatever explaining all of this. Just come to the temple. You can get your lamb. You can get your money. You can, it's all one-stop shopping and we have extended hours for the holiday season, Right? That's what's happening. That's what you're kind of watching. So this is the setting where the scripture is going to take us today. This is what the road is like, the mood on the road. This is what the crowd's going to feel like. This is what Jerusalem's going to look like. This is what the temple's going to feel like. It's all very exciting. You ready? Mark chapter 11, verse 1. Now, when they drew near to Jerusalem, to Bethphage and Bethany, which are villages just outside the city, At the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two of his disciples, and he said to them, Go into the village in front of you, and immediately as you enter it, you will find a colt tied on which no one has ever sat. Untie it and bring it. And if anyone says to you, Why are you doing this? Say, The Lord has need of it, and will send it back here immediately. And they went away and found a colt tied at a door outside in the street, and they untied it. And some of those standing there said to them, What are you doing, untying the colt? And they told them what Jesus had said, and they let them go. And they brought the colt to Jesus and threw their cloaks on it, and he sat on it. Now, remember I told you to take out your pen. If you have your pen out in your, your Bible or your Mark It Up book, circle that whole thing about colt tied. It's in there twice. Colt tied, untying the colt. Circle that, and you go, seriously? Yeah. Patty, who cares? No, it really matters. This is important. Because one of the ancient prophets of Israel had talked about this whole scene, okay? Zechariah chapter 9, verse 9 said, 
Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. Righteous and having salvation is he, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a, what does that say? Colt, the foal of a donkey. Now think of the mood of the people. They're celebrating freedom. They're excited about it. They're remembering they aren't free again. And they're waiting for their Messiah. And the Messiah, according to Zechariah, is going to ride in on a colt. Okay? And if you look back even further in Israel's history, all the way back nearly to the beginning, you're going to go back to when Judah wasn't a tribe. Judah was a person. The tribe was going to come from him, the tribe of Judah in Israel. And Judah, the person, there was this prophecy over him and over his descendants, and this is what it said in Genesis chapter 49, verse 10. The scepter, which is a symbol of authority and royalty, the scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet until tribute comes to him, and to him shall be the obedience of the peoples. Binding his foal to the vine and his, what does that say? Donkey's colt to the choice vine. He's washed his garments in wine and his vesture in the blood of grapes. So, Jesus was from the tribe of Judah. Prophecy talks about Judah coming as a ruler, and there's something in there about a tied-up colt, And everybody looked at this scripture as being a prophecy about the Messiah. It was messianic. So, when Jesus, from the tribe of Judah, tells his disciples to go and get a tied colt of a donkey, and he rides into Jerusalem on it at Passover, Jesus was entering Jerusalem as the Messiah. It wasn't an accident. It was intentional. Okay? Verse 8. And many spread their cloaks on the road, and others spread leafy branches that they had cut from the fields. And those who went before and those who followed were shouting, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. Hosanna in the highest. Circle that word Hosanna where you see that. That's right. Pull out your pen. Circle that word Hosanna. It means save us. They're yelling at Jesus, save us. And it's from Psalm 118, which is this ancient psalm that they used to sing as they were on their way to the temple. And if you read the whole thing, you can see that all of Psalm 118 is about being delivered from your enemies, about God helping you when you are being oppressed. It's a, free, it's a psalm that's about freedom and that's about being saved. And it says in verses 25 and 26, Save us, we pray, O Lord. Hosanna! Save us, we pray, O Lord. O Lord, we pray, give us success. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. We bless you from the house of the Lord. This is the psalm that people were referring to as they cheered Jesus, as they threw their coats and stuff down before him, as Jesus rode into Jerusalem as the Messiah. So stick with me. Jesus, we already said, rode into Jerusalem. He entered Jerusalem as the Messiah. And the crowd welcomed him as the Messiah. Okay? So the crowd's excited. They get to the top of the Mount of Olives, and there's Jerusalem. And it's so amazing. 
And they see the temple right in the center of it. It's just dominating all of it. It's the, it's the heart of their faith, and it's just so beautiful to look at. And now there's Jesus, and he's riding a colt into the city. And so many of the crowd, they've seen him. They know he does miracles. They've seen him heal people. They've heard him do teaching. And now he's riding this colt, and they know there's something amazing about him. He's a messenger from God, or he's a prophet, or something. And they also know that Jerusalem is where everything is supposed to unfold. That's where everything's supposed to happen and they just get so excited they just throw their coats down in front of them and they're waving palm branches and they start singing this song of expectation that he is going to save them and it's amazing the messiah is here at passover he's going to bring freedom just like the prophet said there's going to be deliverance and there's going to be freedom verse 11 And he entered Jerusalem and went into the temple. And when he looked around at everything, as it was already late, he went out to Bethany with the twelve, probably stayed at Mary and Martha's house, who suddenly had thirteen hungry men at their door. Verse 12, on the following day, when they came from Bethany, he was hungry. I don't know if maybe they weren't prepared for 13 hungry people to be staying over at their house and kind of had to spread out a continental breakfast. But for whatever reason, Jesus was hungry. Verse 13, And seeing in the distance a fig tree in leaf, he went to see if he could find anything on it. And when he came to it, he found nothing but leaves, for it was not the season for figs. And he said to it, to the tree, May no one ever eat fruit from you again. And his disciples heard it. I want you to circle that fig tree in leaf part. Put a circle around that. And let me just be right up front with you. This is a weird story. This is a weird part of the story. Not everybody is sure what to do. It's a little bit out of character for Jesus. I don't know if in Quebec you guys have had the same commercial that we have had in Ontario for Snickers, chocolate bars. You're not yourself when you're hungry, right? People get really grumpy when they're hungry. I don't know if that's what happened. It said Jesus was hungry, and he acted. It's a little out of character for him to curse a fig tree. Maybe he needed a Snickers. I don't know. But he judged it. He judged the tree for looking productive, for looking fruitful, when really it had nothing. Now, it seems odd. It's not the tree's fault. But sometimes trees, fig trees, had an early, it was early in the season, and sometimes there were first figs, early, an early crop of figs. This one didn't happen to have any, which wasn't the tree's fault. And so we're not really sure what that was about, but Mark is the one who wrote it down. And the gospel writers each had to choose which stories they're going to tell to help people understand the big picture of who Jesus was. And the way Mark wrote this story down, he brackets the story of the fig tree. We're going to see the second half later. But he brackets the story of the fig tree around the story of Jesus riding into Jerusalem and going to the temple. And so for him... Those two things go together. And we got to understand, Mark is trying to tell us something here. He thought the two went together. And he may have been thinking of the writing of another ancient prophet named Hosea, who was speaking for God. And this is a prophecy in which Israel, you ready, are represented by figs. This is what God said. Like grapes in the wilderness, I found Israel. Like the first fruit on the fig tree in its first season, I saw your fathers. And that's God 
talking about the nation of Israel when he first saw them. And later, if you keep reading it, you'll see his disappointment because they turned away from God and they started worshiping other gods and his disappointment is there. But at first, oh, they were like the early figs on a fig tree. They were like those first fruits, that first crop, so good, so fruitful. And this fig tree is not productive at all. It's not fruitful at all. It just looks good, but it's not good for anything. The tree looked productive, and it looked fruitful, but it wasn't. I need you to hang on to that, okay? Verse 15. And they came to Jerusalem, and he entered the temple and began to drive out those who sold and those who bought in the temple. And he overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold pigeons. Circle that phrase that says, entered the temple. Seriously, Patty? Yes. Circle the phrase that says, entered the temple. Remember we said he rode into Jerusalem as the Messiah, right? The people welcomed him as the Messiah, And then he judged a fig tree for looking fruitful when it wasn't. He's about to pronounce the same judgment with the authority of the Messiah on Israel at the temple. And by the way, that had been prophesied too. Malachi chapter 3 says, Behold, I send my messenger And he will prepare the way before me. And the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come where? To his temple. Will come to his temple. And the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight. Behold, he's coming, says the Lord of hosts. But who can endure the day of his coming? And who can stand when he appears? For he's like a refiner's fire and like fuller's soap. Malachi said that when the Messiah appeared in the temple, it wasn't going to be joyful. Everybody was saying, oh, the Messiah is going to come. It's going to be great. It's going to be joyful. It's going to be wonderful. And Malachi said, it's not. He said, when the Messiah comes to the temple, he is going to deal with what is wrong which is exactly what Jesus did. Throwing over tables, driving out merchants forcefully. Verse 16. And he wouldn't allow anyone to carry anything through the temple. And he was teaching them and saying to them, Is it not written, My house shall be called a house of prayer for who? All the nations. But you've made it a den of robbers. And the chief priests and the scribes heard it and were seeking a way to destroy him. For they feared him because all the crowd was astonished at his teaching. And when evening came, they went out of the city. Circle that whole section that says, My house shall be called a house of prayer for all the nations, but you've made it a den of robbers. That's the part that you want to circle. Because Jesus right there, when he's teaching that, after he throws over the tables, drives people out, and then he does this teaching, it's from one more ancient prophet, from the prophet Isaiah. And when Isaiah, the scripture that we're going to quote, that Jesus quoted, when Isaiah first gave this prophecy, do you know who he was talking about? Outsiders, foreigners, people who weren't Jewish and who wanted to worship God. Here's what it says, Isaiah 56, verse 6. 
And the foreigners who join themselves to the Lord to minister to him, to love the name of the Lord and to be his servants, everyone who keeps the Sabbath and doesn't profane it and holds fast my covenant, these ones I will bring to my holy mountain and make them joyful in my house of prayer. Their burnt offerings and their sacrifices will be accepted on my altar, for my house shall be called a house of prayer for all people. Here's the thing. The temple was built for the Jewish people, right? And for their God, right? Except it wasn't. Not entirely. Right from the very beginning, God had welcomed all people. God had said to Abraham, your descendants are going to be a blessing to the whole world, to all people. And when this temple was built, God had made a promise that outsiders who wanted to worship the God of Israel, they would have a place. And Israel was to make space for them and make a place for them so that they could worship God. That was God's promise to them. And here's the thing. In the temple in Jerusalem, the Gentiles, or the outsiders, the foreigners, they were only permitted in the outer area of the temple. That's how it had been designed. They weren't allowed to go past there, but that was the space where they were allowed to come and pray. It was called the court of the Gentiles. And that was the area that had been taken over by all the preparations for Jewish Passover. 250,000 lambs. All kinds of people coming and going. 2.7 million Jewish people coming and going through the temple. All of them, all these money changers, all the priests doing the, the sacrificing, all of the places where you put the offering. Everybody celebrating Passover and practicing their faith. And they took over the whole space that was the court of the Gentiles in order to do that. And that meant they stopped outsiders from coming in at all. And so if there were people, they stopped people from meeting God. They couldn't get in. And Jesus, the Messiah, was judging them for it. He was telling them, you look productive, you look busy, but they were stopping people from coming to God. And that's why Jesus threw things in the temple. When I was about 17, 18, in Hamilton, in the city that we just moved from, uh, we, we brought in, all the churches came together and said they're going to bring in Billy Graham into the city. And, and some of you will know who that is, and some of you might not, but one of the most respected um, preachers of the last century, full of integrity, uh, loving, kind, humble man who preached the same message over and over and over and over again. Jesus loves you. Come and confess your sins. He will forgive you. You can have eternal life. 
over and over. Thousands and thousands and thousands of people have met Jesus because of Billy Graham and, and his services. And so he was invited by all the churches in the city to come. And when Billy Graham comes to a city, he doesn't just show up on a Wednesday night and open the doors. There's months of preparation that goes into it. And so all the churches were part of doing all of this preparation. And I was a big part of it. I was 17 or 18 years old, and I was right in there. And, and I was um, volunteering and um, uh, you had to go to prayer meetings, and they, they trained the volunteers for how things are going to work in the services, and you wrote down the names of people that you were going to be praying for, and everybody was so excited. All the Christians were so excited because the city's going to be changed. Billy Graham is coming to Hamilton, and people are going to meet Jesus, and hundreds of people are going to connect with God, and it's going to be amazing. I was in college at the time, and so I was right there, and so I was going to all my friends that I was in college with, and I was saying, listen, you got to come. Billy Graham is coming to Hamilton. He's this amazing speaker. You need to come and hear him. I think it's going to be just amazing. It might be your only chance in your life to hear him. And, and you got to go. And I spent months ahead of time praying for my friends. I had a little prayer list, just like they said we should have, with their names on it. Prayed for them. Prayed that they would come and that they would meet Jesus. And then when the, when the crusade started, I told all my friends, you make sure you're there. you got to come. It's going to be great. And then I went to my church because we had buses that were going down to the stadium because it was too hard to find parking and I got on the bus with all the other Christians and we filled up the bus and we drove down to the city and we packed the place out. The stadium was full day after day after day. It was full to the point where we had to shut the doors and we had to turn people away because every seat in the stadium was taken and we went, isn't that awesome? Look how successful we've been. Isn't this great? We packed out Cops Coliseum for Jesus. Isn't that great? Except the next day, I went back to school, and I went to my friends, and I said, oh, it was awesome. You should have been there. You should have been at the service last night. I said, it was so good. It was so good and so successful. We packed the place out. We had to shut the doors. There were people that couldn't get in, and one of my friends looked at me, and she said, I know. I was one of them. And it stopped me in my tracks, and I thought, we all looked so successful so productive, so busy, and I took the seat of someone that wanted to connect with God, and she couldn't get in. I stopped somebody from meeting with God. The Gentiles couldn't get in. The Passover preparations were so big in the entire area that was meant to welcome outsiders. It had been taken over by insiders who were practicing their faith because they thought that was more important than making space for the outsiders. And Jesus was angry, yes, because there was corruption and there was all kinds of ripping people off and that happening too. But he was angry because the temple was supposed to be a place where anybody could find God. And anybody could come in and meet with God. And, and the Jewish people were so busy practicing their faith, so busy focusing on their own religious practices, that there wasn't room for anyone else to meet God. And Jesus was angry because they looked productive and they looked fruitful and they were missing the point entirely. And that's pretty sobering. You know, about a month ago, so I've been here three weeks, right? About a month ago, 
I was here in the city before Jeff and I had actually moved here, before I had started here at Evangel, and I had to be here for a couple of days of meetings, and I didn't know that I would be staying at a hotel that was just a block away that direction. I had to think about that. It was that direction. And uh, I got to the hotel, and I had about an hour and a half of free time before my meeting started. And that's when I realized I was so close. And so I phoned up over here to Evangel, and I said, Hi, um, I'm going to be your pastor next week. And I heard that you guys just moved back into the new building and into this new space, and I would just love to see it. Is there somebody that would let me in, and could I see it? And so some of the staff met me here, and they toured me all the way through, and I went, Wow! I mean, look at this space. Go ahead, take a look around. It's awesome. Only one of you turned your heads, right? Look around. It's this amazing space. And I took pictures, and I was texting them back to Jeff, going, look at this space. Look at how many. And I went downstairs and saw all the colors where the kids are, and I saw the cafe. And I was sending all these pictures to Jeff and going, isn't this amazing? All the time and the effort and the money that was put in, this is just an awesome space. And then after I was finished touring the building, I went outside, right outside these front doors, and I went, wow. And then took more pictures because there were all these buses pulling up, just city buses, you know. And I sent, I sent a picture to Jeff that had three buses all at once right in front of the doors to the church and people getting off and people getting on. And there was a subway, the metro station that's right over there. And, 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 and then I started walking down St. Catherine Street and I was the person that looked a little bit silly because I had this weird grin on my face and I was trying to take pictures without being too obvious about it. But I was sending pictures to Jeff going, look at all these people. Look at all these people. There's, there's the old children's hospital. It's going to be turned into condos. And there's all these students. And there's business people. And there's people on the streets that are, that are living there. Some of them are they're poor or they're struggling. And I could, I could just hardly stand it. I said to Jeff, this church is amazing. The city is right on our doorstep. The people are right there. So many people. I said, look, Jeff, it's right here. And next week... This place is going to be rededicated to God. This building is going to be rededicated to God, and we're going to, we're going to give some honor to all the effort that has been put in and the, and the time and the money and the sacrifice and all of that. And can I just say, it would be tempting. It would be tempting at this point, after next week, to make it all about us now. Well, this is our space. We paid for it. We designed it. It's beautiful. It's our space. It's our building where we can practice our faith. It's our space where we can do it in luxury and with blessing. And how amazing is that? And can I just say what a tragedy it would be if as we did that, we actually excluded people who are looking for God. If we gathered in this space here in a way that made outsiders, well, they're a little inconvenient. Or they mess up our space. We don't really like that. Or because they don't fit in. Or because we don't have time to actually reach out to people that are outside because we're so busy practicing our faith on the inside. Or we're so busy we can't get volunteers to help with something. Or we don't have the time, we don't have the space, and we're looking productive because we're exercising our faith in here. But we're actually missing the point entirely. And I'm not saying that we are. I'm just saying it's a temptation. It's easy at the end of a building program for a church to sit back and go, well, okay then. And wouldn't it be a tragedy if that happened? Can I just tell you something? This city, 
right outside those doors needs Jesus. And for decades in North America, churches like this one have been fleeing the downtown. There's empty buildings in cities across North America downtown where churches have left. They went to the suburbs. They went to the edges of the city, and they abandoned the downtowns. But not this one. We stayed. And I know I said we. I know I've only been here three weeks. But the church has been here 100 years. 100 years as of next year because I presume somebody thought it was important for Jesus to be represented in the heart of the city. Somebody thought it was important that Jesus be represented. And thank God for that. Thank God that somebody said, no, a church has to stay in downtown Montreal. And I know I just got here, but we've been here a hundred years and we did not stay downtown. We did not just renovate a building. We didn't do everything that we've been doing for the insiders. I presume we did it because we know there's a city right out there that needs Jesus people out there that need Jesus. And I'm so excited to be here and I'm so blessed to be standing in this beautiful space. I can't wait until next week when we dedicate it, but I just got to be honest with you. I don't want to huddle in here meeting our own needs. I don't want to just do that. That's not why we're here. That's not why God has us here. We're here to carry Jesus to the heart of the city. So here's what I want to ask. Can we, after we dedicate the building next week, those doors, can we just fling them wide open? Can we make this a space and a church and a congregation where anybody can come? Anybody can come that wants to meet with Jesus. Anybody can come that wants to connect with God. Can we just fling open the doors and make this a wide open church that just welcomes anybody that wants to connect with God? And furthermore, can we fling open those doors and not just huddle in here, practicing our faith and doing the stuff that matters to us, but each of us stream out those doors and carry Jesus to 100,000 students within spitting distance, to business people, to people living in condos, to people living on the streets, to people all over Montreal, even where you live. Can we just fling open the doors and go out there and carry Jesus out to that space? Can we do that? I'm going to ask if you would stand. Bow your heads with me. Because I want to pray at this moment. Next week, we're going to rededicate our building to God. And, and I, I honor that, and that matters a lot to me. But we've been here 100 years And we're back now in this building, and I want to see God start dropping to our hearts what he's got for us for the next hundred years. Why he kept us here. Why, what the purpose is for this church being here in this space. And so, God, we hold out our hands to you right now. I hold out my hands as a symbol of surrender to me. For God, that's that's what that means to me, to surrender to God. We hold out our hands, God, to you, and we say, oh, God, You are the one that has kept us here. You are the one that has brought us here. You are the reason that we are here. You are the one that has preserved a church here for a hundred years. 
in the downtown of this city, and you're the one that's going to take it for the next hundred years. God, I'm asking you that you would begin to drop into our hearts and our minds and our souls ideas and vision and excitement and anticipation for what you have us to do for the next hundred years. I'm asking you, God, that you would help us to fling the doors wide open of this place in every possible way so that there is room for every person who wants to meet Jesus to come in and to meet with God. I'm praying that you would show us what it means to fling open the doors of this place so that we don't just welcome people in, but we also go out. We're not here, God, just to huddle within the walls of this space and practice our faith. We're here to carry Jesus. So I'm asking that you would drop into our hearts and our minds how we can do that, how we can walk out of here and bring Jesus to Montreal. Show us how to do that. Break our hearts for what breaks yours. Give us eyes to see what you see. Help us to learn what it means to walk and be the hands and feet of Jesus. And we ask that you would do this in Jesus' name. Amen.